for uh, the day we've had so far, a uh, day full of uh, your grace and your kindness to us and sweetness of friendship um, and fellowship. And I thank you, Father, for uh, these new friends, new to me, that we can spend a weekend together thinking about your love for us and how it compels us to uh, love the same um, way, but to love others. Uh, thank you, Father, for the reminders from your word. Would this time uh, in your word again be fruitful, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I begin, I just want to have us all thank Gabe for leading us so faithfully in music this weekend. Let's thank Gabe. It's just a bit of refreshment to my soul, hopefully you guys as well, you can say the same, by just, a, by just lifting our voices to the Lord. So, uh, praise God for uh, brothers and you guys have sisters in this church too who are faithful in music ministries, uh, dear to my heart uh, as well. So, uh, thank you. Um, as we continue our study in this down and out life of love, this idea that God has loved us and therefore it compels our hearts to love one another. I want to take this afternoon session and uh, take a very practical look at what this love for one another should look like. And I'm going to do that by looking at the relationship unit that is most basic when we think about love, and that relationship unit, as I'm calling it, is friendship. Friendship. I want to spend this afternoon talking about friendship, and we're going to do that not by looking at a particular passage, one, like not one passage like we might normally, uh, or you might normally hear at Newcastle, but I want to flip to a few different passages as we consider the topic of friendship. And so I'm going to ask you to flip to a few different passages as we spend our time together uh, this afternoon. Um, I venture to guess in a room like this that with friendship, we are all over the map. Some of you have lots and lots of at least what you think are good friendships. Uh, others of you may be, in your mind, more modestly uh, think, okay, at least I have a few good friendships. Uh, and then others of you may struggle in this a little bit, and it's okay. I'm there with you. I've been there with you at points in my life where you don't have many friendships in general, and maybe one or none that you would consider good friendships, deep friendships. No matter where you're at today, all of us have one thing in common this afternoon. And that one thing in regards to our friendships is what would make all of our friendships better. That one thing is what would transform our testimony with our unsaved friends. That one thing is probably what we are least aware of when we think about our friendships with other people. And that one thing is the fact that we all could be a better friend to other people. Whether right now you're convinced of the fact that you could be a better friend to other people, whether you're convinced of that fact or not, 
My goal this afternoon is to challenge you to be a better friend to others by with me reflecting on the down of God's love come down and consider how we can, even in small, tangible ways, begin to improve on the out, the living out of our love. And I want to show you what the Bible says about how to be a more faithful and loving friend. I want to show you this afternoon that cultivating healthy and others helpful friendships that glorify God is all about you and I being the kind of friend that God has called us to be. That taking care of what we can take care of. In a sense, controlling what we can control and not going further, worrying about others. We all want good friends for ourselves. We want to benefit from the others around us in friendship. But we must first learn to be a good friend to others. So I want to show you what the Bible has to say about how to be a faithful friend. Let's look at three steps to becoming a more faithful, more loving friend. Three steps. The first of those steps is this. Embrace the selflessness found in the gospel. Embrace the selflessness found in the gospel. I want you to think about the last time that you played the classic game, Battleship. You guys know Battleship? Uh, you have got your foldable battle station. I've got mine. And we all think it's made for 10-year-olds, but we all still love playing this game. Uh, it's got the colored pegs. Uh, back in, when I was a kid, the, the pegs were uh, red and white. Now my kids have a version that's orange and green. No matter what color the pegs are, they're just super satisfying to put into the board, right? And take back out and spill all over the carpet, pick them all up, put them in the board. We all know how Battleship goes. You sit across from your friend, you pretend to peek a little bit, and you guess A2. Miss. C10. Miss. And you can't seem to hit, right? But they seem to hit all your ships. When you play Battleship, the main thing you're thinking the whole time is about where your ships are and if they'll be safe and... Yeah, you're trying to attack your friend's ships, but the whole time you're worried about your ships, despite the fact that you can't do anything in that game to protect them. And you're probably wondering why you decided to put them all in the corner again. So much of our approach to friendship is like a battleship mentality. You are dialed in right now in this season in life on school and sports and spiritual growth and living life and having fun. That the way that you ordinarily engage in friendship is centered on your ships in life and how you can protect them. Now, often our main concern with our friendships is how we feel, what we need, what we'd like to say, how others are treating us how we can benefit, even how we can look good by how good a friend we are. 
If we're honest, friendship is all about us, even though it involves someone else as well. But as we begin to think about cultivating healthy, faithful, loving friendships, we've got to start as Christians at the baseline level. We've got to think about how the gospel informs our approach to friendship. It's, it's simple. In the gospel, we've talked about how we find life. We're born again. In the gospel, you've been saved by grace through faith. In the gospel, you and I are reconciled to God. And in the gospel, we are called by our Savior to follow him. Turn with me to Matthew 16 to see Christ's command for us to take up our cross and follow him. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, and it's there, and look at uh, verse 24. Our Savior Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? In this passage, Jesus is saying the worth of knowing him so far outweighs anything this world has to offer. Such that it is worth giving up all the riches in the world to take up your cross and follow him. I hope that if you... Uh, don't know Jesus, that this weekend you would consider the love of God in Christ and the call of Christ here in this passage to take up your cross and follow him. Here's what it means to take up your cross. What that means is that Jesus, as he literally uh, took his cross on his shoulder and walked through uh, Rome, uh, through the Roman city, he had to bear his cross on his own back, admitting to everyone who would watch him do that, that the justice system that was Rome was correct, and he was guilty and worthy of death. So when we take up our cross, we are doing the same as our Savior Jesus on the road to the cross. We're taking our cross on our back, following him to death to self, and we are admitting the world's got us. We're guilty in that sense. But Jesus didn't end there. He paid the price at the cross. And so Jesus, in this passage, before even he took that road to the cross, is calling us to take up our cross and follow him. To follow Jesus, friends, is total upheaval of our worldly values. The gospel calls us to a radical selflessness. It's an emptying of our self-worth. It's complete self-abandonment. All so that we can follow Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about when in Philippians 3 he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. 
You see, our existence is no longer about us when we're, when we're Christians. It's about Christ. And so as we learn to love and obey him, as we follow him, we begin to see in the scriptures that it's also about loving others. You see, if you want to be a faithful and loving friend, you must first embrace the radical selflessness that you are called to in the gospel. Because the gospel is a call to follow our Savior in the pattern of his selfless, saving work. And for us, that applies to all of life, including friendship. This kind of selflessness in your friendships will make situations and conversations obviously no longer about you, but about others, and ultimately about Christ. This kind of selflessness will be a picture to your unsaved friends of the selfless love of Christ. This kind of selflessness will transform your Christian friendships, producing peace and patience, a thoughtfulness that wasn't there before, and a tenderness between the two of you. It'll produce Christian love that is a testimony to the unsaved and a treasure to those who are saved. So you must first embrace the radical selflessness found in the gospel. Secondly, the second step to being a faithful friend is that you must live out your love for others. Live out your love for others. That's what we've been talking about this weekend, but I want to dial in a little bit on exactly what that means. You see, we know the love of God in Christ come down. And this love is a love that transforms us, that compels us to love others in that same way. To love like the Bible describes. You see, in our first point, we must not only put off our selfishness, we must not only get rid of being selfish. Here, what we're talking about is we, we must, what the Bible says, put on, put on the new man. Uh, embrace a selfless love for others. And it's a love that's unlike the world's love. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. It's a paramount passage about love. And I just want you to look at the words we read, 1 Corinthians 13, because it's a passage that maybe you hear at weddings, uh, but it's not a passage that maybe you consider enough when you think about your friends and how to be a more loving and more faithful friend to others. Now listen to 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, and it helps us to understand and characterize the kind of love we are to live out to others. <laughs> love is, verse, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Uh, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then the beginning of verse 8, love never ends. And Paul goes on to give some practical instruction to this church as to how to understand love in relation to the gifts, the spiritual gifts of God to the church. 
So far this weekend, I hope that we've built together an understanding of the love of God come down in Christ. We understand that. We understand that the love that God gave us is the very same guts, the essence of the love that we are to have for one another. But as we consider how to cultivate loving friendships, we must think about how to live out that love. You see, love is not just affection. It's not just something you feel. Love, according to the Bible, is affection. Indeed it is. But it's affection and action. It's affection and action. It's not just how you feel about somebody. It's what you do to show the love of Christ to them. Now, we all have a friend who collects things, who amasses large amounts of some object or kind of thing. You've already thought about that friend, and you're smirking because uh, they're sitting next to you, maybe. <laughs> Uh, you, you actually may be that friend to somebody else. Uh, maybe it's coins or a certain kind of pen uh, or it's, a, it's coffee mugs maybe or use gift cards to get all the colors. Uh, maybe it's snowmobiles that were given to you for free. Uh, you collect things and you put them in your garage or you put them under your bed. You collect things, right? <laughs> Here's how to have fun with that one friend. You look them in the eye with a serious moment, and when they're adoring their collection of, of not-so-ancient coins and not-so-valuable coins. Bro, that's still worth only 25 cents. And so is that one, too. And you look them in the eye and you say, have a little fun with them. When are you going to actually use those? Offensive question, right? In our quest to become a faithful friend, a loving friend, what I'm saying is it's not enough to just cultivate love as a feeling, devotionally even, and privately rooted student ministry. We must actually live out our love. We must exercise our love. Love must overflow into our actions, into our very lives, into our interactions, our conversations, our schedules, our priorities. We must choose to consistently and faithfully exercise our love toward others. Now, in God's kindness, all throughout the New Testament, we have so much help and instruction in how to live out our love. There are 59 or so commands uh, called the one another's. Literally the word one, and then you can put a dash, and then another's, right? There are commands that involve literally the phrase one another. Love one another, forgive one another, uh, bear with one another, bear one another's burdens, and so on and so forth. There are 59 of these. And there are a wide variety of other instructions that don't involve that phrase uh, that help us to live out our love. And so there are a lot of ways we can approach the practical look at how to live out our love. But this afternoon, I want to focus on just three 
little actions here in this second point that encapsulate and yet span across all of the responsibilities to love one another that we find in the scriptures. So just three actions in this second point here. First, if you want to be a faithful friend, you must live out your love by giving. By giving. You see, if friendship is marked by radical selflessness and Christian love, then in friendship, you must give. You must give of yourself, give of your time, give of your attention, maybe even your money and your resources. Uh, Maybe it's honor or credit that is rightfully yours for something. Maybe it's of your preferences or your own self-satisfaction in enjoying something. A faithful friend gives freely and generously. Guys, in a world that is so dialed in on net worth and self-worth, got guys on YouTube and TikTok telling you what to do with your money so you can get, get more of it for yourself. And you're told you should aim to retire early so you can travel the world. In that kind of world, this is a radical concept. That because you are a follower of Jesus, that you would give of yourself to benefit others? That's what we're called to do. The simple basis for this kind of giving, this sort of sacrifice, is our Savior's own giving. And even unto death. Just listen to these passages. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In John 10, Jesus talking about being the great shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down or give it of my own accord. You see, built into the very fabric of our faith is the truth that Jesus selflessly and sacrificially gave himself up for us. And the Bible is crystal clear that this is an example for us to follow. Consider 1 John 3.16. Just listen to this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's simple. Jesus gave. And in friendship and in love, we must also give. You see, if you want to be a faithful friend, a more loving friend, you must give like Christ. When you, Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. You give of your right to hold something over your friend when they wrong you. When you, 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You're giving of yourself emotionally and effort-wise. When you, 2 Corinthians 13.11, agree with one another to live in peace. Or Romans 15.5, live in harmony with one another. You're giving of your entitlement to your opinions and preferences for the sake of your brother or sister. When you, Galatians 5.13, through love serve one another. 
you giving of your time or your opportunities or your priorities for the sake of your friends. Guys, as a faithful friend, you must cultivate a heart ready to give. Anticipating others' needs, not expecting anything in return, and with a generosity that is reflective of our Heavenly Father, the giver of all good gifts. And so a faithful friend gives. Secondly, in this second point, as we consider how to live out our love as a faithful friend, a faithful friend not only gives, but a faithful friend also listens. A faithful friend listens. That we must grow in our ability and in our willingness to open our ears and our hearts and listen. Think about it this way. How can we care for one another or bear one another's burdens or comfort one another or pray for one another well unless we are keenly aware of each other's actual struggles and sorrows and burdens and cares and needs. In becoming a more faithful friend, we must listen and seek to understand one another. I want to turn to a passage that you might not expect to hear at this kind of point in a sermon like this, but turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. I just want you to see something with me. And this is a little bit of Bible study, kind of let's learn how to apply scripture too and think about God and think about ourselves just as much as it is a help to our study here in how to be a faithful friend. Exodus chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, look at verse 23, and we're going to look here at God and his ability, his perfect ability to listen even as a faithful and sovereign God. Exodus 2, verse 23. And this is when Israel, God's people, is in Egypt. And they're suffering under a bondage of slavery. It says that during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Verse 24. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Here God hears the groaning of his people and remembers his promise to deliver them. He later gives them rest and reprieve from suffering, but notice what actually does happen in this passage is that there's a transfer of action from God hearing the groaning of his people uh, to God hearing, hearing that and, and transferring to his remembering and then him seeing his people and knowing what would happen all along. God is listening to the cries of his people. And not just here, Consider in the Psalms, Psalm 5, 
the psalmist cries out, Give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. And then psalm after psalm, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. In Exodus, and in the Psalms, and in the prophets, we hear the same cry of God's people. And it's rooted in expectant faith that God will answer and God will hear. In whatever situation, God will incline his ear and ever faithfully act in his loving kindness. And that's a promise for free today for all of us who are God's people, that we have a God who hears our prayers. But not just that fact. As we think about being a faithful friend, we've got to think about the importance of listening. When's the last time you talked to somebody and they very clearly weren't listening to to what you were saying? What was that? Experience that, right? Didn't that be a phone? They could be looking across the room and kind of, you know, seeing the special someone that they that just arrived at youth group, and uh, you're sharing something, you know, increasingly deep, and they're just looking across the room. We've all experienced little moments like that, and that's okay. There's grace for those times. God and how He listens to His people is never like that. He listens ever-presently, faithfully listening, hearing our cries. God hears us. We can respond like the psalmist does in praise. Listen to Psalm 116. I love the Lord. Why? Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. That's the cry of God's people because he does listen. To be heard is to be cared for. To be lent an ear is to be understood and identified with and empathized with. And with God, to be heard is to know his steadfast and sovereign Love, And that's exactly why, as we consider how to be a faithful friend to one another, as we are those who bear the image of God, we must also listen to even reflect a tiny bit of God's listening presence would, be, would bring strength and warmth to our friendships. You see, because to listen to our friends would be to begin the process of care and concern and love for one another. To listen would be to not jump to judgment or rush to correct people. To listen would be to store up consideration and context for how we love somebody. When we listen, we begin to manifest the same care for one another that God does for us. The same listening and comforting presence. And it is when we listen that then and only then 
after we have an opportunity to minister to our friends more and more helpfully. And so a faithful friend gives, a faithful friend <coughs> listens, and third in this second point here, a faithful friend also speaks. A faithful friend speaks. When we think about speaking, we think about our words, and we think about uh, the times that Pastor Scott or maybe somebody else up front has talked about using our tongue. Rightfully, we probably think about the use of our tongues mainly as an area of life that we must control, tame, right? It's a self-control issue. James is so helpful on that. There is, when we think about our words, a cleanliness is next to godliness kind of a vibe in how we think about our speech. And indeed, we must control our tongues and reflect the holiness of God in our speech. We must not cut our friends down to size or speak lies about them. Amen and amen. Those things are true. But as we seek to cultivate loving friendships, we must see that our speech is so much more than just something to reign in. The Bible tells us of the value of words used well. Just listen to these passages. And you can write them down if you want. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort, or use your words in a challenging way, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's using your words to help a brother or sister not be deceived by sin. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, encourage one another with these words and build one another up. Uh, that's chapter 5, 11 as well. That, that's using your words to anchor each other's hearts on truth uh, with our words. Uh, Ephesians 4, 15, that we are to speak the truth in love in the lives of our friends against the influence of every wind of doctrine. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's correction or rebuke. Again, using our words. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that we may give grace to those who hear. We are to use our words in ways that build up and encourage and minister to others. Through our speech, we have the God-given ability to deepen our friendships. I think all of us, from time to time, are convicted as we think about how we use our words. And again, we probably are convicted because we uh, said something we shouldn't have, or we uh, said a word that we were told not to, or we talk about somebody when they're not there and cut them down. We think about that and we're convicted. Well, what if in our pursuit of being a more loving friend, we began to think about and even pray about our words, not only as daggers needing to be restrained and pulled back, 
but our words is also little messengers of grace toward others around us. That what if we began to speak fewer words about ourselves and our opinions and begin to speak more warmly and humbly? And if we begin to use our words to ask more thoughtful questions of others, to draw out what was on their hearts? What if we encouraged more, followed up better on last week's conversations better, or challenged one another more, warned each other of the deceitfulness of sin more faithfully? What if we affirmed others in love more generously? I believe simply from the perspective of our words, students, that we would, as Ephesians 4 says, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In our endeavor to be more faithful friends, let's develop new channels of communication in our speech, new abilities and a new willingness to use our words in ways that benefit others. Let's expand our vocabulary, so to speak, in this. Let us, as we cultivate loving friendships, speak. Let us give, let us listen, and let us speak. I'm on my way here this weekend. Uh, I flew out of sunny Southern California, uh, the awesome airport called LAX. And as I got there, I thought, well, if I make it there in one piece, uh, knowing the weather conditions that were coming, then praise God, that would be awesome. And little did I know that all of the problems on my trip would come from an airplane grounded, not in Chicago, but at LAX, where the sun was shining and it was a warm 49 degrees. That's warm, uh, relatively, right? Uh, we were grounded for about 40 minutes, and uh, I, I still believed in the thing because I was coming to Chicago, and then what's a simple 56-minute flight from Chicago to Peoria, and Scott picks me up, and we're back at his place, easy, 9, 10 p.m., we're good, right? We were grounded 40 minutes, no problem, my connecting flight has got an hour and 15 there in between. Well, it was 40 minutes turned into just a little more than an hour. And so if you do the math, I was landing in Chicago at 7.30 local time, and my connecting flight was leaving the gate at 7.40. Gives you 10 minutes to go from the end of Terminal 1 to the other end of Terminal 2. Not close to each other, not next gate, but like around a big U. And you know me, I've, I've shared this. It's my first time, not only in Illinois, but at ORD, where I'm frantically looking up a map while I'm on the plane, thinking, okay, I think that's where F-15 is. One of the first things I did was I called my good friend Scott. And I said, hey, so I uh, told you it was coming on time, but that was before the little delay. Now, I'm here, so everything's fine. Scott, very faithfully, as a loving and faithful friend, uh, drove two and a half hours each way to come pick me up. And we were back, and I was wide awake, and he was falling asleep. 
God bless the man. What if Scott, when he answered my phone call, my not-so-frantic phone call, uh, standing in the airport, what if he answered my call and he said, hey, glad you're here in Illinois. It's great. Uh, snow's starting. You know, it's, it's about bedtime. Uh, Ollie and I like to just, just turn in a little early before uh, retreat weekend. You know, we'll leave the door unlocked. You can, you can kind of make your way in if you want, you know. Um, maybe there's a taxi. Maybe there's an Uber you can take. Well, we'll see you here. We'll see you if we see you. But what if my good and faithful friend of 11 or 12 years just decided to leave me out literally in the cold? Now, he didn't. Like I said, he came and picked me up. But there are smaller and more minute and less talked about moments in all of our lives, in our friendships with others, where we feel left out in the cold. We feel like we've done all that we can to give and to listen and to use our words and to restrain the words that we shouldn't use against others. We've done everything we can, we can and we've been faithful and we've been as loving as we could. We've embraced the selflessness found in the gospel and we've lived out our love. We've all had those moments. And so what do you do when that's not enough? What do you do when others aren't responsive to you? When others don't reciprocate your, your efforts? What do you do when that person is mean to you or rejects you again? What do you do when you're ignored or laughed at or skipped over or offended? In a sense, what do you do when you follow the recipe and the cake doesn't turn out? Well, most often in our pride and our self-centeredness, we think that a friendship isn't panning out or producing the way we expect. And it's because of the other person. And sometimes you might even be right about that. In those moments, as Christians, loved with the perfect love of God in Christ. Friends, we are called not to give up, not to get rid of the friendship, not to ignore back, but to practice a steadfast love that slows our expectations that we so quietly hold over other people. And that brings us to our third and final step to cultivating friendship. It's to extend grace generously. It's to extend grace generously. As we seek to be an ever more loving and faithful friend to others, and we navigate the sometimes murky waters of friendship and experience this kind of failure, as those who've been given grace generously by God, we must also then extend grace in our friendships. Turn to Ephesians 4 with me, just to see this. Ephesians 4, verse 32. 
Ephesians 4.32, probably a familiar verse to many of you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When friends fail you, the faithful friend responds humbly, patiently, graciously, forgiving because we have been forgiven much by God. Every chance that we get when someone fails us to extend grace it would be an acknowledgement of what God has done and continues to do in our lives. But we need his grace. And so who are we to hold it back from others when the going gets tough? It's the fellowship that we have that we must maintain and restore sometimes. It's the shared participation that we talked about this morning of the grace found in Christ. And it's with that common bond and that oneness, that common understanding of the gracious dealings of our God with us that gives us a basis for how we can graciously deal with one another when we are failed. With our friends, let's, friends, install some patience and forbearance and long-suffering. Let's have some empathy and understanding that comes early and stays late. Some forgiveness and mercy as we've been shown forgiveness and mercy. And so a faithful friend generously extends grace. That's all three points, all three steps. But there's one final way that I want to give you on our way out that I, I skipped over. That we can be faithful friends if we do this consistently. And I want to give a little homework assignment to the small groups because I think that this is helpful, even if just for a few minutes at the beginning or at the end of your small group time at some point today, uh, to do this. And the final way here to live out our love and to be more faithful and loving friends is that we must pray. We must pray. We must pray that we would be of help and benefit and of use to others in our lives, used of God. We must pray that our friendships be strengthened. We must pray that our unsaved friends would see the love of Christ and come to know him because of our friendship with them. That we must pray that our saved friends would be formed more fully into the image of Christ. We must pray that even here in this ministry, in Rooted, that loving friendships would be a venue for the glory of Christ. To become a faithful friend, we've got to take all of this, and we've got to think of all of these, all of these friends in this room, and entrust all of it to God, who will give the strength to be a more loving and more faithful friend. Let's pray now to that end. To close our time. Father, thank you for your word and what it has to say and how it helps us uh, to be a more loving and faithful friend. Help us, Father, to embrace the selflessness found in the gospel 
and then to live out our love for others by uh, giving and listening and then speaking. And Father, help us when failed by others to extend grace generously because that is the very same grace that you have given us in the gospel and that you continue to give us all life long. But Father, help us and grow us, we ask. Give us much grace and strength to become more faithful friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we kind of bounce around in different parts of Scripture today.